This is going to work out fine. There's two me's. I'm double, double live. <laughs> I should, should I tweet that? No, I'll just tweet I'm live. Good evening and good morning, wherever you are. Um, I don't know where to look now because I've got the two cameras. But only one of them follows me. Check that out. Now, I'll talk about that. I'll talk about that very briefly while things warm up and people join in. But um, that one is the normal one, the one I'm pointing to. The one at the, I was going to say the one at the top. You can't see it's the one on the top. Uh, but the one up there, that's the Sony A6400 DSLR with the cool lens. That one there is the little one. That's the Insta360 Link. That's the one that follows me. What's this? See? A6400, better lens, better camera. It's a DSLR. And also, it, it's about this big. And that one there, it's one hand, is about that big. It's tiny. Yeah, cool. Close <laughs> me There's just so much novelty factor with this. Okay, let me, uh, let me do the formalities, and then I'll get to talking about the cameras, because I just love the way it follows me. It's really, really cool. I'll come back to it. <laughs> sponsor this week is Collide. Collide has been a, a sponsor for many weeks already this year, and uh, they will be for many more weeks to come too. So uh, Collide has been uh, an exceptional sponsor in 2023. Collide ensures only secure devices can access your cloud apps. It's device trust tailor-made for Okta. Book a demo today. We have spoken before how Collide does like to integrate with many of the other things. Okta is one of the biggies. Okta do wonderful things too. Collide ensures that if a device isn't secure, it can't access your apps. Seems reasonable. Achieving Zero Trust Design for works on Mac, Windows, and Linux. Fixing problems without lifting a finger. Wow, they've got a number, this is a big number, 1.2 million problems fixed. There you go, go and check out Collide. Uh, look, look, when you go and check out sponsors, sponsors see that people go and check them out. Uh, they are happy about that, which makes me happy about that because they like to stick around and give me more time to play with cameras and things like that uh all right what's in the comments here rob rob's happy rob langford yeah he's finally he's, he's caught one wolves is in dubai that's one of my i don't i still don't know where to look it's one of the things i want to do in the near future is spend some time in dubai i will be going back through dubai definitely this year but i think it's going to be an airport job richard says too many troys i'm gonna need more cameras next time just to make a point Brendan, you should have brought a whiteboard just to show something incredibly stupid through Insta360. It can do a whiteboard thing. So let's talk about that because then I'm going to turn, I might turn the Sony off after that just so we can do one because it's just, everyone's going to get a headache looking at me twice. Uh, I put the two cameras there together because I was just curious to see how different they were. And I appreciate that the Insta one is a little bit lower angle, which I don't think is great. Um, I really noticed it earlier on when the room was darker early this morning when i was playing with this uh yeah it's like white balance and stuff like that is obviously not the same as what you get on a dslr but i think for the most part it's actually pretty good like we don't get the same kind of bokered look that we get on the on the sony but then you don't get the the follow so here's what i'm going to do i'm going to turn the sony off and i'm just going to put the uh Let's have a look. I can uh, do that with that one just there and then i can stretch this one out to full screen in obs well there we go so I've got to remember to turn this off and not look at it. And I will instead look towards the uh, the little guy down here and try and tell what I know about it. So first of all, it's sitting there on a tripod. 
Uh, and I will talk about the other Insta360 bits in a moment as well. In fact, now I've got to put my microphone lower because it's almost in front of my face. Sitting there on a tripod, it's a gimbal-mounted camera. Um, so, you know, normally I'm used to gimbals and things like the drone, and you fire up the drone and the camera... Stop looking at that, you idiot. <laughs> um, look at this one. You fire up the drone and the camera starts, like, looking around at everything, and it's like, wow, that's really, really cool. And, of course, the gimbal is there, so as the drone's, like, flying around, it can stay steady. Let me put my chair down. It might feel a bit better. There we go. So weird when it moves. The value proposition, this one being on a gimbal, is it can follow you in three different dimensions. Three, two, really. And it can zoom in and out. I'll show you how to do that in a moment too. So I guess the value proposition is if you like to move around your room a lot, it does that. It seems to smooth it out unless you go really quick like that and then it tries to, to catch you. It does pretty good depth of field. Like if I walk around... Oh, look at that. No. It lost me. It lost me. It's going to get my face back. Where was I? There I was. There. There. Which is pretty cool. Go down. That. <laughs> I don't know how much of a novelty factor that would be over the long term. I'm not going to use it over the long term either. Um, I think it might be a good travel one, though. We'll see. Possibly could uh, supplement the iPhone that I tend to use when I travel. But it is kind of cool. It's got a, uh, and I'm looking at the Insta360 link, which again is this little thing, link controller over here. Now I can turn it around to, they call this one whiteboard mode. So watch this. Oh, that wasn't so impressive. <laughs> what happened? That worked last time I did that. Whiteboard. No, it's turned off whiteboard. So whiteboard, oh no, no, not whiteboard mode. What am I doing? I don't have a whiteboard. Overhead mode. Watch this. Bam, and there's my desk with all my Insta360 instructions. So the theory here is that when you have things that you want to show people, such as uh, these tiny, tiny, tiny little instruction books, which in fairness to Insta360, look at the writing on that. Like how do you, that is so tiny. In fairness to Insta360, uh, Ubiquity absolutely does the same thing. One of my other favorite companies. There you go, there's my phone with my nice picture in front of it. Um, what else have I got that I can show there? Here's my pen. <laughs> I, I assume there's probably some good use cases for this, but it's, um, uh, yeah, I guess showing showing stuff. I mean, for me, I'm probably more likely to need to show a, a whiteboard or something, not a whiteboard, uh, something on the screen, a screen share, which I don't need the camera for, obviously. You can turn that off and you can go into a pan zoom tilt to remember how to do that I could do that before when the Insta360 link controller app uh, when you're not using the image on another window or another app such as I'm using OBS at the moment it can go there on the Insta360 controller and then you can sort of scroll in and out and move it around or is that uh, that's desk view mode oh no what's that one I haven't tried that desk view mode what does this do Incidentally, before I start all this, I literally had to look around the room and go, okay, well, what documents and things have I got laying around because now the camera is going to be moving all over the place. So I put a whole bunch of stuff away. Desk view mode. What's this do? Ah, what's the difference between that and overhead mode? I don't know. Looks the same to me. 
I've just gone to overhead mode. Nothing changed. Interesting. We're, uh, we're all just troubleshooting as we go here. Oh, in this mode, be careful not to tilt the monitor back. Ah, okay. I probably should have worked that out before I started. And then it would have been a slicker experience. But this way is a more honest experience. <laughs> Looking at the comments just here. Rafael's in Switzerland. Richard Campbell says the non-Insta has a shallower depth of field. Yes, uh, it's. I, I think it's a great webcam, actually, for, for DSLR. I think it's a great webcam. Marek says two troys with price of one. I assume you're happy. Uh, Rich also says Insta has a lower contrast. Um, Brad says he can see up my nose. I hope that's exciting for you, Brad. <laughs> I, I, I hope you said that before I lowered my chair as well. Brendan Dangatrui could have set a dedicated scene for the little dude. What did I do there? Which little dude? Uh, what else is here in the comments? Lot failed to track you for a bit. Yes, when I moved too fast. But I guess in fairness, like if you were using this in a meeting or something like that and you're kind of just, oh, I've got to turn back on tracking mode. That was my fault. And you're doing this. Uh, you can use gestures as well. So there's a gesture. <laughs> I think it's like that. Ah, I just saw it flash blue. And now it's not following me anymore. And then you do another gesture like this. Where is it? In frame. That. Bam. It's flashing blue again. And now it follows. That's cool. That's really cool. AJ says, desk view, when mounted to a monitor, automatically adjusts to show your tabletop, overhead, generic overhead. I don't know. Maybe. I, I did have it on my monitor earlier, but uh, the USB-C cable they provide with this is not quite long enough. I don't know if I can be critical of them for that because I do have quite a distance between my big array of screens here and my desktop, which is down there. Now, uh, continuing the Insta theme, Insta360 theme, I have an entire thread going where I was using this Insta360 camera. So this is the X3. And I, I think what's sort of most amazing about this is the way it just stitches stuff together. Oh, and it, just so we do all the usual stuff, it, it is right at the beginning of the tweet thread. They sent me all this because I tweeted asking for how someone had done like this epic behind view of a Ferrari F40, which just, it just looks really cool. And a bunch of people said Insta360, and then they said, can we send you some stuff? I disclosed all this last week as well when I was unboxing it. But this week was the first time I had to actually play with stuff. Um What's really amazing about this camera, and I kind of didn't realize until I used it, is that you can kind of use it, and when I say this camera, I mean the X3 one, you can kind of use it without thinking about where you're pointing it. And that, that kind of completely resets your brain because normally you're like walking around with a camera phone or something and it's like, if I don't point it at exactly what I want to shoot, I won't be able to see it. Duh. But this, it doesn't matter because it's getting a full 360 view. I think the only place it doesn't get a perfect 360 view is right up the top. For some reason, it does seem to down the bottom. So I stuck it to the back of the car <laughs> with this suction cap just here. Uh, I learned in the process that you really need a better suction cap, in part because as soon as you start extending this, this falls. And we have what I call the GoPro jet ski problem, which is I put the GoPro on the jet ski and I head out not so gently, <laughs> and the whole thing starts to slip. You can get a different suction cap, which uh, also doesn't have these, uh, I guess, rotating mounts. So that uh, that would seem to help. And also a suction cap, which is much more heavy duty because 
with this on the back of the car, just driving around the 50k an hour streets, I was like, I'm worried this is going to fall off. So um, a more spirited drive, I might be a bit more worried about it. So I may get one of those because I do want to get some really cool shots with this. I have something very particular in mind that I want to do in the coming weeks. So what's super cool about it is it doesn't matter which way it's facing when you film. So I did the bit of the car and I came home and then I popped it up on my phone. It uh, it connects to the Insta360 X3. And the way they let you choose which way the camera focuses is that you get a little bit like Snapchat. You can just sort of hold down a button and as you're holding down the button, it'll start to record. But what you're doing is you're looking at the playing video and this is really hard to show any other way than possibly someone else filming me playing with this, with the film from the, gets a bit inception, inception. But anyway, so you're holding down the button and then as you pan your phone around, the gyros in it are actually turning around the view that this camera took. So imagine you've got this full 360 view film that's on the phone and you can use the phone to pan around and as you're holding down the button, it's actually changing the angle. And then you can slide your thumb up and down and you're zooming in and out. And it, it, it's, it's amazing. Like how they stitch all that together is really, really amazing. Obviously, it's got two different cameras, one on each side, so it can do the 360 thing. I was going to say it stitches it together perfectly. It almost <laughs> stitches it together perfectly. The exception I found was one of the first things we did is I gave it to Ari and he jumped in the pool and this is in the tweet thread. So one of the, the videos when he's jumped in the pool, it looks like the 360 cameras had a little bit of trouble figuring out how to stitch it together when he's underwater, which, yeah, if you've got to find a fault like that, that seems to be a reasonable edge case to have. Uh, let me see what else I put in this thread because it, I don't know, it's just, it, it's a fast, it's like I want to find things to do with it now. And in fact, what's quite interesting is looking at the Insta360 uh, Twitter account and the things that other people are doing with it. I saw one earlier today where a lady has taken this very long extending selfie stick. This probably, oh shit, there's a fan up there. Um, <laughs> this selfie stick probably extends to about, I'd say good meter, meter 50, meter 60. And she's running down a bridge holding this above her head. The selfie stick gets made invisible when you're filming. I'm not quite sure how they do that. Makes it, makes it invisible while you're filming. So it almost looks like this bird's eye view looking down at the person. But of course, because it's a full 360 thing, you can go into post-production and like just zoom around. I don't even know how to explain some of this. It's like it's so, it's so bizarrely amazing to be in a consumer product like this. Let me see, what did I say in this thread? Uh, what were the cool bits? Oh, they limit your password to 20 characters. Naughty, don't do that. You did so many other things really nice. Don't do that, though. No reason for that. Um, what else is here? Updated the firmware. It's just like, welcome to device life. <laughs> this is what always happens. Just look at this shot of the car. It's so cool. And like it jiggles a bit, but I think the jiggling is a little bit due to the bracket I've got here. So I'm really keen to get one of these harder brackets and see what that looks like. Really, really keen to see what it ends up looking like on the jet ski. That would be that would be quite fascinating. All right, there are the comments in here. Uh, Gordon Benny thinks I don't know if you think I'm Iron Man <laughs> or something else is Iron Man. 
Brendan says you manually zoomed the Insta in the Yote, the Sony cam, when you could have had a shared Sony Insta scene only. So I got no idea what you're saying there, mate. Is it Friday afternoon down where you are? All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna keep playing more with that. I think the like the I think the webcam is gonna be cool when I travel. I don't know that I've got a lot of use for it when I've got that Sony right here, but it is a cool thing. It's gonna be super cool on the on the road. I've got a little bit of time at home actually before I'm on the road again. Speaking of on the road, just gently transitioning out of that, I spoke this week at the ASFA conference. Now, I found this kind of interesting. I'm going to get the acronym right. The Australian Superannuation... No, can't even get it right when I'm reading it. The Association of Superannuation Funds of Australia. So superannuation in Australia is like our 401k in the US. It's retirement savings plan. Everyone has to put money into it so that when you retire, you're not a burden to society and all the rest of it. So uh, it's, it's, it's a finance industry event. And I got to be honest. I was I was a little bit hesitant up front. I have done a talk, and I won't say which one it was, or which event, or which conference it was, but at a finance related event before, and it was about as exciting as I would have expected a finance related event to be. <laughs> this was different. This was actually really cool. It was a really well put together thing. I shared some photos of the stage. Looked awesome. I did a twenty five minute keynote to a bunch of people in the finance industry handling people's money. And I thought that was really cool. I thought it was really cool that an event like that, who had bankers and money people and all the rest of it doing their talks, wanted to have a cybersecurity talk. Uh, so I was very happy about that. had a, 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 a couple of other folks there also doing cybersecurity things as either keynotes or a, a panel I was on. And I do wonder if it was not for Optus and Medibank, the Aussies in particular remember this, whether that would have been a thing. Uh, and certainly my talk had a lot of Optus and Medibank in it. I think there's some really interesting things to take away from that. So that was really cool. And also it was really cool because it was just up in Brisbane. So I could just, I was going to say drive an hour up the road, hour and a half in that traffic. But anyway, so that was cool there. Other things that are coming up for me travel-wise, uh, I will be in Perth. In WA, doing Cyber West. I'm doing the Cyber West opening keynote on the 10th of May, which will be great. So once we go there, that will be the last Australian state that Charlotte hasn't been to. <laughs> so she can tick off all of them. If you're listening to this in the US and you're going, wow, are there like 50 of them or something? No, there's. we don't even know exactly how many there are. Seven or eight or something like that, but some of them are territories. and uh, It's a small number. <laughs> We've been to them all now. So we'll be over in WA uh, in May. It's only just over two months now. And and other things we're going to talk about later. I will be doing other things in other parts of the world later on, in person, not just remote. Some of these uh, listed on my, my thing here, particularly in London and Denmark, will be remote events. Other ones are coming up, not listed there yet. They'll be in person. Um, what else is happening here? Adventure Matt, much less storage space required for clear text storage of passwords when you restrict to 20 characters. Joke, hopefully. I really hope so. I read something years ago saying, I think every website should disclose publicly, somewhere in there, whether it's terms and conditions or FAQs, whatever, how they store your password. And my premise at the time was, why wouldn't you? Well, there's only really one good reason why you wouldn't, because it's embarrassing. <laughs> and if it's embarrassing, well, you should be doing it better and then you could share it and it wouldn't be embarrassing. 
I would love to see that happen. I think that would have to be like an industry opt-in. Speaking of industry opt-in, one of the things I did talk about at the ASFA conference the other day is the difficulty of disclosure. Uh, and in fact, I'll, I'll give you a really good example because I, I used Optus as an example here. I'm going to find my slides here. One day I'll do this live stream and actually share screen and slides. I should get more organized. Uh, after the Optus data breach, the person who took the data then recanted and they took the data down and they posted a sorry notice. And they said, in the sorry notice, they said, Optus, if you're reading, we would have reported, X I think it's a royal we, because I think this person has been sent to their room to think about what they've done. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure it's one individual. If you're reading this, we would have reported exploit if you had method to contact. No security mail, no bug bounties, no way to message. So in a room full of finance people, I was very briefly explaining security.txt. And I said, look, here's Google, they've got one. Here's the BBC, they've got one. Here's Have I Been Pwned, they've got one. Here's Optus. And the Optus page just says, oops, let's get back to you. So I was sort of making the point that it's, it's, it's still really hard to get in touch with organisations and even organisations that have actually had a data breach of significant note don't have a security.txt, which, which I find is just crazy. Now, um, in happier news, you know who does have a security.txt as of today is Netflix. Now, why is this happy news? Let me get the, uh, the tweet up here because I shared this earlier today. Um, there is an acronym. Let me find the tweet down here. An acronym of FANG, F-A-A-N-G. And FANG is an abbreviation, abbreviation acronym for Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. Now, the relevancy to this is on the 2nd of February, Security TXT Twitter account tweeted and said, exciting news, Apple just joins the list of companies with security.txt file. Now we only need Netflix to complete the FANG list. And Ed Overflow, who was responsible for security.txt uh, spec, pinged me and said, how can we get Netflix going? And I put out a tweet and I said, do I know anyone at Netflix that can make this happen? And this is 2nd of Feb, so what are we, 20, basically three weeks ago. And uh, someone from Netflix did reach out and long story short, now here we are. So Netflix is now on that list, which is awesome. Next up, Microsoft. <laughs> I would like to see Microsoft on this list. I will be reaching out to people at Microsoft as well because it would be great to get them on the list. Now, in, in fairness, the likes of Netflix and Microsoft are probably the ones that kind of need this the least because I know that there are lots of ways to reach security people there uh, and disclose things. It's more the likes of Optus that really need it and they still don't have it, which is just crazy. Um, Venture Matt says, please get in front of Aged Care too, Troy. Largely unprepared for cyber risk. Well, if I get invited to talk at an Aged Care conference, we can have a discussion. Um, but to be honest, Matt, it's like this is this is every industry which is largely unprepared, isn't it? And I think that I, I don't I, obviously I don't want to say like the Optus and Medibank events were, were were good things because they're horrific in in various ways, but the outcome of them has certainly been much better awareness. I have seen, and I don't I don't know if I can directly attribute it back to them, but I've seen a definite increase in the interest 
of me doing talks for all sorts of different industries. Uh, some of them I can talk about like ASFA, some of the other ones are, are very private, but uh, it, it definitely has made an impact. And I think part of why that is, as I was saying on the, I think I said this on the panel a couple of days ago, is that nobody could escape it. Like it doesn't matter whether you're a cyber person or a tech person or if you're a teacher or a window washer, like whatever you are, you would have seen this in the news. Everybody saw it. Everybody was aware of it, aware of it, aware of it. And about half the country was impacted on each one. Like half the country was in Optus and then half the country was in Medibank or something very close to it. So that I thought was interesting. Uh Stephen's just worked out there's a there's oh no there's no longer a double Troy. Uh, he's just started watching me on delay. So there was a double Troy. Now there's not, but by the time you get to this, you'll know that there's not. So anyway. Twitter. That's <laughs> just a little more list here. Let me kick back in my chair and let the camera follow me around a little bit. Oh, in case you're wondering, the screen that's just there is a lapel. That is an external screen, an external monitor that's portable that runs off my laptop, which if I move just around a little bit further, you can see is sitting just there. Um, it's kind of cool. It gets powered off USB-C, plugs into HDMI. Uh, it could probably plug into a USB-C that could do video out, which my older laptop here can't. But uh, yeah, you use it as an external screen and then it folds down flat and you can fit it in your bag. It's kind of cool. Twitter. SMS to FA. Let's just read the tweet and then get into the controversy. This is a this is such a popcorn munching affair, like so many Twitter things. Okay. Six days ago, Twitter starts to send emails to people. Did they send emails? I think it was an email. Or was it a tweet, a DM? Anyway, here's the message because a lot of people sent it to me. You must remove text message two-factor authentication. Only Twitter Blue subscribers can use the text message two-factor authentication method. Now, remember, Twitter Blue is now the thing that you pay for. Actually, it was one you paid for before, but it's now the one that gets you the blue badge as well. But I still have the blue badge, and I think... Ah, anyway. It'll take just a few minutes to remove it. You can still use the authentication app and security key methods. Learn more about two-factor authentication, link. To avoid losing access to Twitter, remove text message two-factor authentication by March 19, 2023. And people lost their freaking minds. It was hilarious. <laughs> it was, it's... I'll just read you my tweet. It's had uh, almost 300,000 views. So obviously it's, it's had some popularity. Here's my tweet. I've had a lot of people tweeting this at me. So let me give you two thoughts on it. Number one, making a 2FA, making 2FA a premium service sends a bad message. Number two, putting a price on the weakest form of 2FA and keeping too much better alternatives free is good. See how I tried to balance that up there so people just didn't go completely nuts. Now, a few things have come out since then, and this sort of helps explain it. But before we get into that, this is a badly written message. It, it just is a badly written message because there's nothing in here that explains why. It's not clear whether this is meant to be for security or meant to be for another reason. It just 
it feels badly handled. Now, one of the things that we learned since this tweet went out, and this was basically just people joining the dots. This is really not Elon coming out and going, hey, here's the reason. One of the things we learned is Twitter has been hit with uh, what he reckons is about 60 million bucks a year worth of fraudulent SMS messages by, I think he called them like fourth tier telcos or effectively lower rung telcos that are being creating Twitter accounts, enabling, and you'd obviously automate this, I would imagine, enabling 2FA via SMS and then just doing lots of logons with lots of 2FA tokens being sent via SMS to drive up the SMS cost for Twitter, but these fourth tier telcos get a little bit of a slice of the money that every single SMS costs. So it's SMS fraud. Now, people have been joining the dots together by going back and listening to some of Elon's previous uh, messages on this. He's spoken publicly about it before. It looks like some of those telcos actually got knocked off, which explains why people couldn't be doing their 2FA SMS in some parts of the world. And we've all learned some things because I didn't know this was a thing. I didn't know there was like SMS fraud that benefited telcos that could receive those messages and that there are actually professional organizations, well, when I say professional organizations, businesses out there running this as a fraud. So it seems like this was a very costly thing. Now, Twitter Blue subscribers are paying money. And I think if we are just entirely analytical about this and we say there is a service that is part of the platform, it costs the platform money, they're only going to make it available to people who are paying money. Those who are not paying money can do something else, such as Authenticator app, uh, YubiKey, they can go and do that for free because it doesn't have a cost to Twitter in this case. And it's almost like that's a reasonable way of putting it. A lot of the debate seems to have ended up on either taking away 2FA or as it being a bad thing or pushing people towards authenticator apps and security keys with those two things being a good thing. And I feel like everyone's been torn here because particularly those who are like, isn't it good to be getting rid of SMS and stronger authentication? But I don't like Elon, so I can't be happy about this. Where do I stand on this? I don't know. Um, I obviously don't use SMS for 2FA on Twitter or anywhere else that I can avoid. A soft token is a much better thing. A hardware security key is a better thing even again. I, I kind of feel like one of the things that keeps SMS going for two-factor is it's easy and everybody understands it. Uh, so if my parents, I just use them as an example because they're in their 70s, they're probably less tech-savvy than your average younger demographic, but then again, they listen to me, so they seem to pick up stuff. <laughs> That's probably a lot less tech-savvy people than them. Point being, they know how to get an SMS. They know how to read an SMS. They know how to type in the six-digit number that gets sent to them. I saw multiple people making the point that especially a security key, but even a soft token, is still a barrier to entry for many people, and I totally agree with that. It is, because you've got to explain how to go and get Authy, for example, or ideally you're going to drive people towards a password manager and then say with one password, you do have the option to store your OTP details in your keychain. Uh, I've got to write another whole blog post about that. that. Like there are other ways of doing this, but it, it's complexity. And Twitter hasn't sort of said, you know, here's how to go and do all that stuff. I haven't delved into all the weeds of what's behind the two-factor authentication link there, but clearly that's a harder thing than just doing SMS. 
So who knows? Who knows? I think it's I think it will force people in the right direction, but the way they've done it not for that reason, but for financial and that's okay. Like they've they've got to remain buoyant. So it's okay for them to do things for financial reasons and particularly get rid of things that are costing them a bunch of money through fraud and really not giving them any return. I don't have a problem with that. I just think that why is the message so crap? <laughs> Elon, if you're listening, the message is crap. Hmm. Okay. Gordon says, I saw an argument for my gran won't know how to use auth apps in favor of SMS being used. And I do wonder how much gran tweets. <laughs> I, I do. But that's pretty much what I was just saying. Uh, yeah, because then you've said, okay, we're, we're crossing wires here. You've said I've brought up the same point now. It's, it's a, it is a very valid point. I was, um, I was actually having a meeting with, uh, with someone at Cloudflare. Uh, just before I did this, because we're trying to tweak some caching stuff with Pine Passwords, and we're talking about uh, Jannard Ali, who has left Cloudflare, but he's the guy who came up with the K-anonymity model for Pwn Passwords. He didn't invent K-anonymity, but he applied it to Pwn Passwords. And I was saying in in this call, so look, this this is what made it so fantastic is not just the the privacy aspects of it. There are better cryptographic solutions for doing privacy, but what made it so fantastic is everyone understood very quickly how to use it. It's like, yeah, I know, well, almost everyone, developers, I know how to create a hash of a password. I know how to take the first five characters of a hash and I know how to pass that in an HTTP request. They didn't have to read a white paper on cryptography in order to understand how to consume the thing. So making security accessible by the people who are intended to use it is just a massive, massive, massive part of, I think, being successful in this industry. Ripley Forbes says, wouldn't it make more sense to drop SMS 2FA entirely since Twitter Blue accounts are a target for scammers looking to take advantage of the notoriety of blue check marks and the algorithmic boost? I think that there are lots of different ways of looking at this. And I, I have heard this argument where they're saying that, and the argument, if I, if I paraphrase it, is uh, SMS is the weaker form of two-factor authentication. Why do the people that are probably greater targets still get to keep that? And I think part of the answer is what I've just discussed here around the accessibility of security. And SMS is a very accessible form of 2FA. You could also rationally argue that it is much easier to justify giving people a service that costs money when they pay money. That seems to make sense. I do wonder, and this is now no longer a financial decision and really one more about security, but I do wonder if we will see in the future Twitter just knocking it off altogether. You know, maybe, what if they do this and they go, okay, well, most of the people who heard SMS have actually just rolled over to Authenticator Apple hardware tokens and now we're okay. Um, hardware tokens, security keys. I don't know, but I, I do see your point. I think it's a very valid point. Brendan says, not me to visually get my point across uh, by running two separate instances of OBS. Joel, morning, Troy. Sorry, late to the party again. Okay, well, now you're here, we can start. Thanks, Joel. We'll see what happens on that. Now, another one that, that uh, yeah, like that, that tweet got a lot of attention, nearly 300,000 views. Another one that got a lot of attention this week was around DNA. So there's a story here. There's a tweet. The, uh, the tweet here is millions of DNA tests leaked after hackers breached companies' forgotten database. And I've quote tweeted that and just said, please change your DNA. 
How many views did that get? That's at 359,000 impressions. Wow. So that's, um, yeah, people like that. <laughs> because, of course, you can't. And then there were a whole bunch of COVID jokes, you know. Oh, you just take the RNA vaccine and, and you'll change your DNA. Boom, tish. Uh, I actually think there's, there's a possibly a, a more interesting aspect to this, which is if your DNA is breached, and yes, thank you for all the have I been cloned suggestions. Uh, it's been done. <laughs> Mark Rendell fellow NDC speaker did something around that many years ago. Someone is now squatting on the have I been cloned domain. So, yeah. It, it raises an interesting point, which is if your, and I, I'm going to air quote this, if your DNA gets breached, so I assume a digital representation of your DNA gets breached, uh, what happens? Now, the, the thing that I immediately thought of is, I was one of 500,000 plus people in the Australian Red Cross Blood Service data breach. So if you donated blood anywhere in this particularly large window of time, you're in the breach. And one of the attributes that was exposed was your blood type. And I later worked out that your blood type was only in there if you provided it when you signed up to give blood. Um, I, I'm not quite sure what my blood type is. I still, I probably should know that. I probably should have it on my phone somewhere. But anyway, I didn't know it, so it wasn't on my record. A bunch of other people did have it on their record. Now, that is health-related data, which then makes it a special class of data, a sensitive class of data. But what happens? You know, what happens if it's disclosed? It's a little bit different to um, your diseases, for example, being disclosed. What happens? Well, that could be a massive invasion of privacy because it could be embarrassing. It could limit you from getting jobs or insurance or something like that. But if you're like A positive, so, okay, now what happens? Because there's a finite set of blood types and it's not something that changes. You know, it's, it's not like, okay, there's, there's a finite set of genders. I mean, let's say it used to be a very binary thing and now we recognise uh, there are still a finite set of numbers, but that's a very personal thing and it might not be something you want to disclose because there is discrimination and whatever else. But blood type? I don't know. So for the DNA thing, I wonder what's the risk of it being disclosed. Now, I can actually guess a few things that might might be true. Uh, what if there is anything in there that discloses relationships to other people? Uh, what if there is anything that discloses any sort of propensity for a hereditary disease or something like that? And then the one I think is really interesting is what about the stuff we haven't yet thought of? What about the people who committed crimes decades ago before we had DNA testing and then something that had their DNA and it was later obtained, hair, bone, whatever, uh, and then it was used in a way that we never knew could be used back then. And I guess I'm just sort of looking forward going, well, what if there are things that are developed later on that could use this information that was exposed? I'm starting to sound very conspiracy theory now. Anyway, the point is it's obviously very personal and I think a lot of this was about people not knowing what could happen if it was disclosed. But most of the several hundred thousand views there just resulted in jokes. <laughs> um, what else? Joel says, uh, I'm seeing about a three to four frame lag on video to audio here in UK. That's unusual. All right, so I'm interested. Does anyone else see lag? Um, and I wonder if it is because of this cam or not. We might try rolling to the other if we keep having that problem. We'll see what happens. You're the first person to report that. Um Okay, I lost my place here. All right, Joel, Joel, 
Draw. Okay. Steven's just caught up. Good. <laughs> now you're going to catch up to this bit. And uh, yeah, we'll just do this like 15 minute delay thing. Um, Crooked reckons people related to DNA will just increase the chromosomes by one. Uh, Richard said, oh, blood type personality theory. There's probably a geek out in there somewhere, mate. I don't think I've heard that one. B types to be the back of the bus. Jeez. Now I'm a little bit worried about disclosing what I am if if I ever figure it out. Crooked says, no lag, Stephen. Stephen, no, Joel. Joel, might just be you, Joel. Don't know. Next thing, last thing, the rabbits. Now, let's talk about the rabbits because this was a blog post. I started, I started going down the first of the six rabbit holes and as I started going down, I was like, oh, this will be an interesting blog post. I should write this up today whilst we fix the problem and then I'll publish it tomorrow or something. It'll be fine. Anyway, a month later, <laughs> because I got to a bit of a stalemate. So let me, let me explain the, the background here, the backstory, as I introduced it here. Have I been pwned has the API keys. You can go and buy an API key. It's all done through Stripe. And after you buy your API key, you, you basically go through the process of going, oh, I want to buy a key, you go to Stripe, you, you put your credit card details and stuff in the Stripe, so I don't have to worry about that. You get redirected back to Have I Been Pwned, and then your key works. And every month you get billed again, and so long as you successfully pay your bill, you get to keep your key. A bunch of this works by Stripe sending webhook callbacks to Have I Been Pwned. So a really good way to think about this is uh, when you buy a key, it lasts for uh, a month, unless you buy one for the last three years, you get... Longer than obviously. <laughs> Let's say it lasts for a month. So have I been pwned as like, okay, we're going to kill this key in a month. And it's dependent on Stripe then being able to charge your card and then sending a call back to have I been pwned to say, hey, we've successfully charged your card. And then it just extends for another month and the window keeps moving. The Stripe webhooks are really, really cool. There's so many different events you can plug into. For example, invoice.paid, customer.updated, and many, many, many other things. This is Stripe making requests to have I been pwned. If it can't make the request, it has a retry mechanism. Not exactly sure what the cadence for that is. I, I think they use some magic because <laughs> I can't see like, a, it's not like, okay, we're going to retry 10 times every one hour or something like that. I think it actually backs off exponentially or something. But anyway, it'll retry. But it has to be able to make the call. And I found out through someone whose key hadn't been upgraded, because one of the things that happens, you buy a key so you can make, say, 10 requests a minute, and then you want to make 100 requests a minute, you've got to go to Stripe, you've got to upgrade. Stripe needs to tell Have I Been Pwned to upgrade the key. I hope that's not a gesture that does something weird to the camera. Nope, I think we're good. Uh, so this person got in touch with me and went, hey, like, where's my additional RPM? And that's how I eventually discovered that Stripe webhooks, some Stripe webhooks, we're not getting through to have I been pwned. And we start going through these rabbit holes. And one of the first things I discovered is that Cloudflare was blocking some requests. Now, Cloudflare is meant to block some requests. That's a large part of their value proposition. When people do nasty stuff, it's literally meant to block those requests. Nasty stuff is meant to be blocked. This was a false positive. And as we start to go through this 
this rabbit hole, series of rabbit holes, like the first rabbit hole, and I just I, uh, I just thought calling it rabbits and putting rabbit emojis would make it more interesting. The first rabbit hole was actually figuring out why the key upgrade had failed. And that's where it's like, okay, look, it's getting blocked. We're getting 403. Uh, Stripe has a real, I'm so impressed with Stripe, I am. A really cool dashboard that shows you uh, failed webhook calls and then the response that came back. So in this case, it's like 403. The response uh, shows you the HTML markup. It was clearly a Cloudflare challenge page. So then the next rabbit hole, so now we're into the second rabbit, Cloudflare's firewall and logs. So I'm like delving through Cloudflare's firewall and logs, like in the dashboard, and you can see Stripe's IP addresses coming through. Actually, one of the first things I did is I just allowed all the Stripe's IP addresses, just the outbound IP addresses so that people's keys wouldn't get cancelled because that's kind of important. We start going through looking at the logs, and I discovered that there were actually uh, a bunch of times that the Cloudflare WAF was getting triggered, um, dozens of times based on this graph just here. And I then found that there was uh, an anomaly score exceeded rule being broken, an inbound anomaly score exceeded rule. And that what actually happens here is Cloudflare, what's the time? It's nearly 6 p.m. on a Friday night. Cloudflare uses a bunch of OWASP, WASP. How many times have I said OWASP in my career and I can't get it right? OWASP rules. And what what they do, which which I think is is kind of clever here, there is this inbound anomaly score, which is comprised of different things which are detected within the payload of a request. Now these are post requests that come from Stripe. They do include a great big JSON body. And what it was triggering here is we can see that things like there was an RCE bypass technique that was adding five. So it's looking at it going, oh, it looks a little bit suspicious. We're going to give that a five. And then there was a, an IE XSS filter attack detector. There's another five. There's a sickle injection attack. It's like, oh, maybe a bit, a bit three. And it keeps pushing this OWASP score up until it uh, passes the threshold of 25. So I've got like a score of 26. So loads and loads and loads of info in here. And it's like, okay, so we're triggering some OWASP rule implemented at Cloudflare, but why? Like, what is in the request? What is in the payload from Stripe to have a been pwned, passing through Cloudflare, triggering the rule? So one of the things I learned, and the reason I wrote this up is I learned a bunch of stuff, and I thought people might find it interesting. One of the things I learned is Cloudflare, in their enterprise plans, have this payload logging feature. So normally... Cloudflare will log like metadata about the request, uh, the the URI, the inbound IP address, uh, basic stuff like that. They won't log the payload itself because imagine if it's like, if it's a logon, well, it's a post request with a username and a password. You don't want to log that into Cloudflare's ecosystem. So you can turn on this, uh, this payload logging. And in order to do that, you've got to create a public-private key pair so that they get the public key, they can encrypt the payload, and then you can pull that payload back and decrypt it with your private key. And from that, I learned absolutely nothing because the payload that came back after I got visibility to it looks completely innocent. Everyone with me? This is a long rabbit hole story. 
This then led me down into Cloudflare's rule engine or into our fifth rabbit here, understanding that uh, they have their own rule engine here, which is their implementation of OWASP, and Cloudflare was looking into it and trying to figure it out. And eventually we got to the point where I was like, okay, uh, Cloudflare, Stripe, um, Cloudflare meets Stripe, Stripe meets Cloudflare, like just connected all these people that were independently trying to help me. Between you guys, figure it out because there's something between you that's causing this problem. Maybe it's your dependency on an OWASP rule. It's clearly a false positive. It's probably not just impacting me. So what's actually happened? Look at the last comment from Rob Langford, beer o'clock time. I feel like I'm starting to rush it in order to get to the beer o'clock. Long story short, between them, I couldn't work it out. We, we, we just don't have a resolution. So I got to the point of learning that we can add an exception to the managed rules. Again, I think it's an enterprise feature where we can have a very fine-grained exception. So what I've ended up doing here is saying uh, if the URI path is the Cloudflare uh, or rather the webhook callback path for Have I Been Pwned. And then the source IP address is any of Stripe's outbound IP addresses of their gateway. Then just skip these rules. Don't skip all the other ones, but just skip, for example, the RCE bypass technique. So what's the remaining risk? Well, if a request comes from Stripe's outbound IP address and it is a genuine RCE bypass technique, targeted at the specific webhook callback path, it would then pass through the Cloudflare firewall and it would then be dependent on whatever that origin application does to protect against that risk. Uh, and it's a basic API running on uh, an Azure function service. So it'd probably be fine anyway. But that's what I got down to. And it was, it was a little bit frustrating not to have an answer, not to be able to go, ah, yeah, it was because you got an angle bracket and a brace next week, you know, or something like that. Part of my hope in writing this was between Cloudflare and Stripe that go, hey, go, like, we really should. <laughs> now, there's a blog post about it. We should fix this. As far as I know, that hasn't happened yet. The other thing I think that, that needs to be done better, as much as I love Stripe, being able to have webhooks that suddenly have a marked uptick in failures and not actually notify the customer is a blind spot. Uh, now, Stripe does have a very robust API ecosystem. I believe you can build your own monitoring around this. I'm not sure if there's a third-party service out there that can do it for you. But it just, Stripe is so, it feels like such a customer-focused service that this should be something that they're able to do. Uh, so if anyone from Stripe is listening, well, Cloudflare figures out what happened with the OWASP rule. Can you please let us know when the webhooks fail? Okay, what's here in the comments? Uh, Richard says, the Japanese have blood type horoscope cards. Wow, okay. Are they just as accurate as real horoscopes? I'm saying that, but then I'm saying it to Richard and he's probably going to tell me that horoscopes are real or, or something else I didn't know. Joel, it's subtle. This would be the, the delay. And mostly in sync now. Video may be a single frame behind the audio. That is pretty subtle. <laughs> Richard says, Insta360 milliseconds. Stephen, watching at double speeds. <laughs> Almost caught up. Nice. You probably caught up by the time you hear this. Uh, Richard said, Code maintenance by blog post guilt. 
it works. Okay, it hasn't worked this time, but it does often work. Um, and these are, yeah, Cloudflare in particular, like two organizations I have a, a great affinity with and a great amount of respect for, um, but it, it, it does it does tend to move the needle a bit more when there's a bit of attention uh, paid to it. Uh, last thing before I wrap up, I have been sharing pictures during the week of house renovations, particularly the garage. We have now a very large hole. Uh, Richard, no, well, he wouldn't know the hole, but if you walk in our front door on your left before our stairs, there is a big hole there because there is a view straight down into the garage and we thought that would look really, really cool. <laughs> so we've knocked a big hole in the wall. The entire garage has been stripped. There's cables and stuff everywhere. Sparky's completely moved the circuit board from one wall to another so that we could knock it down. Uh, we have gotten very carried away. And just as I did that, I saw the Insta360 cam flashing because I put my hand up and I accidentally turned off tracking. <laughs> now I just turned it back. Oh, come on. All right, and now Siri thinks I'm talking to her. Oh. I'm not sure I understand. Jeez, it is beer o'clock. The garage is going well. <laughs> it's going to look really, really cool. Uh, I, Rich, I'm going to send you something on this, Richard. You like it. Um, I'm going to share more photos of that in the coming weeks as it unfolds. I, I think it's probably, probably going to be a couple of months until everything is done. But at, at least very soon, we should be able to use the garage again. But, yeah, there's a lot going into that which is going to be super, super cool. Um, Richard's asking if there's an underground layer. Yeah, kind of. I'll, I'll send you a message. <laughs> Stephen, are you going to add a virtual golf range to your garage like the hookup did? Uh, no, not a golfer. Not a golfer, and I have enough other things to do. Speaking of which, I'm going to go and do some of those things right now. Thank you very much for watching. I will go back to the normal camera last uh, next week. This is this has been fun. I'm going to try and get that X3 doing some more cool stuff uh, before next week as well, and and we'll see. I've definitely got some ideas about what I want to do with some car stuff. Thanks for watching, folks. Have an awesome weekend. <laughs>